Hello and welcome to the Futures Podcast. This is the Ability Programme Series. My name's Lucy. I'm one of the employability consultants here at Birkbeck Futures. I'm joined today by Birkbeck student and ability placement student, Michelle Pilkington. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Lucy. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, It's been so great getting to know you. Uh, I remember meeting you for the first time on the very first Ability Programme session. I think I'd been at Birkbeck for possibly two weeks and you were just so lovely and it was great to chat to you. You were so engaged and that's why I thought it'd be great to get you to talk about your experiences today. It's a pleasure. So you have had a really interesting career. So I think it'd be really interesting for the listeners to hear a little bit more about you and what you've done. I'll try and be as as concise as I can be. I I definitely noticed that when I was young that I coded information differently, the way that my thinking and learning and the way that I related to others. One of the things that I loved when I was at school was chess, and I started playing very, very early at primary school, I would say around six or seven years of age probably even earlier, I can't remember. Wow. And um, yeah, and I played religiously every day. I had a great history teacher who introduced me to chess. When I was 14, uh, as board one for our team, we won the UK chess championships for the under 16s. And I loved it. It definitely taught me about my strategic thinking and analytical skills. Uh, I knew cognitively that I had a lot of ability, but I definitely stood out from the crowd in, in terms of understanding information and the way I process that. So uh, the written word was quite a challenge to survive. I guess I, I moved into the arts and I went to art school. Mm-hmm. I, I loved art school. I loved it. Uh, lots of experimentation. Uh, and um, I came out, I worked for The Face magazine, which was quite a prominent, prominent magazine at the time. And I worked as an assistant, but then a stylist working with photographers. I loved photography. I took up photography very quickly, although I'd been taking photographs since uh, a kid. The British Journal of Photography, they they did an article on my work and uh, Channel 4 read this and called me in and asked me to work with them on a new programme. It's a new culture programme. And I worked on this programme as head of steels for many years. Over that time, I worked for organisations around the globe And also in the UK for the BBC and English Heritage, Art Forum magazine, all sorts of uh, publications. Uh, I had a studio in uh, Bermondsey at the time, I remember. But then um, in 2002, I had a lot of surgery on my spine, of which took me out of um, normal life for about two years. And during that time, I realised that I code a little bit differently than the neurotypical person. I was actually uh, quite isolated in my work, uh, living behind the camera, and I wanted to collaborate a lot more. So I started to, you know, when I was getting better, I started to look through jobs in the Guardian newspaper. And there was this job for, uh, to manage an art studio off the old Kent Road. I went along and I thought, there's no way I'm going to get this job because I've been lying on my back for two years. <laughs> so I'm going to enjoy myself, you know, and I and I really enjoyed the interview. It was two hours with three people. It was quite arduous, actually. Lo and behold, I got the job and I loved it. I loved it. It's a really great time in my life, a really great chapter. I had a great director, Mike Smith. 
I was managing the art studio, but within three months, Mark Wallinger and Mike spotted my talent and they asked me to produce an artwork. This is called State Britain. It was uh, in it was quite a political piece, a protest against the Afghanistan war at the time. And it won the Turner Prize in 2007. And then I, I got to work with uh, Steve McQueen, who's now the film director, Michael Landy. I did um, Queen and Country for the Imperial War Museum. But with State Britain, I also went on a tour with that around the globe and worked with different teams, you know, working with so many different people, uh, leading lots of different teams and different cultures. Coming up to the Olympics, uh, Mark Wallinger and myself were shortlisted uh, down to the last 16 to, for an artwork, a commission for an artwork to circumnavigate the Legacy Park. We came second in the end, um, but um, we should have won because it would have been a terrific landmark today. But there you go. What transpired from that experience, though, was that I was approached by a tech firm to give the same talk, which was managing people in high-risk bespoke projects, to their organisation and their team leaders. And my whole life changed. I became a consultant overnight and left the art business. Um, from that transpired um, lots of different work from here technologies to uh, sports, uh, UEFA and Neon in Switzerland, team marketing Switzerland, biz design in Toronto. I mean, it was, uh, well, terrific consultancy life, I would say. It was when I was working in Chicago uh, and I I had had a fantastic day, very transformational, uh, very rewarding. And I got back to uh, the hotel suite and I actually thought to myself, you know something, oh, gosh, uh, I had this like tidal wave of um, imposter syndrome. I thought, you know, I'm not even qualified about doing this, and I'm I'm coaching people with great academic um, acumen. Mm. So, um, as a problem solver, I thought, right, what's the solution to this? And I, I thought it's time to go back to school and really get the academic career I've longed for all my life. And I found Burbeck. <laughs> and the ability program <laughs> and I am so so grateful no I'm you know thank you for sharing mm. that it's it's really interesting to to see somebody that's had such a varied career because it really does show that that portfolio career is something that can absolutely work and the skills and experiences that you gain throughout that to take you forward but I think also because so many people are going to do that type of career going forward it's probably unlikely that we'll be in the same career for our entire working lives um so it's really interesting to to hear somebody talk about that you know really glad that you found Birkbeck and the ability program as well which kind of brings me on to my next question how did you find the ability program i the ability program for me is a place for growth potential for any individual you communicated a sense of realness and caring and what was really interesting that you are very deeply sensitive demonstrating non-judgmental understanding and I I was kind of bowled over by that it made me feel really safe and it allowed me to break down some barriers that obviously that I had built up over you know you become a, incredibly resilient over time just to go a little bit back on the work that I was doing for instance um, with um, neurodifference you have if somebody can describe verbally to you a concept and you will be able to manipulate that in your mind into a 3D object and that enables you to grasp concepts really quickly. With the consultancy work, uh, understanding patterns and complex systems in organisations to identify these variables 
among multiple people, uh, specifically their strengths to that team and the organisation. And I and when I came to the the ability program, it made it allowed me to reassess all these skills that I had. It was a huge asset. I thought, yes, I do have value. <laughs> this is this is great. You know, this is something that um, it's a huge strength. So yeah, it was uh, it was kind of like a, a door opening. Let's put it that way. It was really great. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, we'll talk about the, the placement that you undertook in a, in a bit, but what made you decide to sign up for the Ability Programme? Well, first off, I mean, um, I remember the first uh, conference weekend we had and I was in a, in a classroom with maybe 25 people and mm-hmm. we were asked to draw our career uh, lifeline, basically, and we were given these big sheets of paper I I kind of like I do I, I immediately dived in and 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 just drew what was on my mind and when we presented <laughs> I I look I just you know I thought oh lord you know mine was quite diverse let's put it that way and you know everybody loved it and I I, I thought that's um as a child you you experience so much stigma around the way that you um, share information and communicate and and think, and then to go to an institution where it's embraced and everybody is uh, loving what you do, it's it's like wow, great, okay. So it gave me the confidence to ask for help because I thought, well, maybe this is the place where I can disclose that I have a neuro difference instead of pretending that I'm neurotypical, which I had done all my life up until that point. That's why, uh, and, and it's interesting, is when the Ability Programme was introduced to me, um, I did think about it long and hard, because it was a turning point in my career. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think what I took away from you is, and, and being on the Ability Programme, is just how how open you actually were so it's 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 interesting to hear your journey towards getting to the ability program because i remember you in the first session being quite open um about uh your dyslexia which you know i think was so powerful for everybody else in the room because there was definitely and there there always is that nervousness but i think you you got people to open up so you know absolutely you know, great addition to the Ability Programme. And I'm so glad that you joined us. (laughs) Thank you, Lucy. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. I think as a consultant, your focus is on on others, you know, um, and the development of others. Mm. And so you spend very little time on um, thinking too much, too deeply about yourself. And I think that's another element of, of, you know, going back to academia and, and thinking about the next step in your career and and your values and ethics and how you're going to take that forward and yeah so it was yeah I I decided I thought right if I'm going to do this I'm going to embrace it yeah 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 and you did and I think that was yeah as I said so powerful for everybody else as well you know having a role model in the room to allow other people to share I think was great so you went off on placement to the Telegraph. How was that experience? 
Well, yes, I'm truly grateful. Thank you, Lucy. And uh, to the Ian Carton Trust as well. I had the very good fortune of meeting Tom Armitage and Asif Sadiq. Tom is the head of talent there and Asif, at the time, he was um, head of diversity and inclusion. Both of them have become lifelong friends, I have to say, and um, I'm really grateful. Uh, so it was the first time that I experienced going into a, a corporation where I was being open about my neurodifference. And so, yes, it was um, a mix of vulnerability and liberation, I would say. Mm-hmm. And um, it, is, it is quite uh, an eye-opener as well. A lot of colleagues were just fascinated by the assistive technologies that I was using and the strategies and tools that I took into work and used every day. My productivity was very efficient and fast, so everybody wanted to hook in and like, how, you, how did you do that? <laughs> what are you doing? That's amazing, you know? And that was fantastic. You know, a lot of colleagues, both neurodifferent and, and typical, to adopted these. What's interesting, and it made me really think about this quite deeply, is the fact that invisible disabilities are present among all populations of people. Mm-hmm. And sm- the smart organisations, like those... Um, you will see in Silicon Valley and GCHQ, for instance, they recognise flexibility and the capacity for negotiation are going to be the foundational strengths for organisations in the future. So it was quite nice to sort of be there at the Telegraph and be a champion of that future. And it kind of felt a bit like that, I have to say, the experience. It was a terrific experience, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad to hear it and I know that um, the team there will speak really highly of you as well. It's really interesting to hear you talk about people asking questions about the assistive technology and noticing that actually you are being more productive, you can do things more quickly. So it just goes to show that actually there's there's a lot of technology out there that would be beneficial to everybody. So it's, it's, I guess, how organisations and technology providers think about making their technology more inclusive for everybody. So it's, it's really interesting just to hear those experiences. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's not at a huge cost either. Uh, access to work, you know, there's government funding available for uh, employees as well. It's, it's just awareness, isn't it, and knowledge. And I think a lot of uh, SMEs struggle with that. And I think they need a lot more external assistance, I would say, to be more forward thinking in this area. I mean, the reality is no matter where you work, you are working alongside uh, people who have invisible disabilities. Absolutely. I think everybody probably knows somebody that has a disability, whether or not they know that or not. Um, And that brings me on to that inclusion piece so a lot of work is is done around ensuring that employment pipelines are diverse making sure that you're getting diversity of talent into the business but actually it's that inclusion piece so understanding that you may have people with various differences and that that's across all of the diverse characteristics what are your thoughts on inclusion how do you think organizations can be more inclusive Uh, what does that look like for you i love to quote her name is victoria honeybourne and she talks about biodiversity and for instance um, uh, if we think of in plant life if we think of a rose we don't wish a rose to be more daffodil-like because we consider daffodils to be a best flower flowers are not expected to be the same it's a natural variation 
as is human diversity. And that goes for human diversity in all areas of difference. And it's just a shame that for some reason, human diversity is some areas of human diversity is considered as inferior uh, to other ways of thinking and learning. And this is just purely down to attitudes, values and beliefs operating within our social and educational and workplaces. I think now, I mean, as a psychologist working for Lexic and future skills for managers, empowering uh, neurodifference in the workplace by providing the strategies, practices and tools through workshops and now very much online, of course, and coaching. It's about managers becoming compassionate communicators and having that flexibility those with invisible disabilities are incredibly resilient hard-working people because they've had to deal with so many adversities over time and I think if reasonable adjustments onboarding recruitment I think if um, reasonable adjustments or any kind of adjustments or that kind of dialogue with all people, all people, because we are all different. Mm -hmm. And not just to segment it to, you know, the tick box, do you have a disability? It's kind of do away with that and actually treat every individual as as different and, and have that across the board. Absolutely. And I think that would be a great thing for organisations to do, is treating everybody as as being those individual uh, so that when they do come in, that question isn't around, do you have a disability? But it's actually, do you have any support needs or adjustments or whatever it is? And that's just across the board. Exactly. Because that would absolutely make it more inclusive. Yeah. Because going back to you talking about the telegraph and identifying that your assisted technologies helped you to do things more quickly. And actually, for some people who who learn or listen um, or understand information in different ways but don't necessarily have a, a disability but that might actually make them better at their job or make them more productive or just support them to achieve what it is they want to achieve add value to the business all of that kind of thing so i think we do need to think more broadly as a society about people and our own individual differences and what that actually brings so I think that is a really great point um, and hopefully organizations will start thinking in that way absolutely Lucy I think building networks and there's so so many initiatives that have no cost whatsoever you know coaching mentoring programs internally are great support and it enables everyone to feel valued and if you feel valued then you feel you belong and you're engaged in your work it's not really about how long somebody spends sitting in front of a screen it's about the output it's about yeah. their performance their productivity their innovation yeah Absolutely, because we're, we're living in the, the time of coronavirus. I think that's becoming more apparent that you don't have to be at your desk. You can work in more flexible ways, which I think will have an impact on people who do have disabilities and do work in different ways. Could be more break time, not having to commute. And I think it has made managers realise that as long as the job is being done, it doesn't really matter how it gets done. Yep. So absolutely, it's about it's about the outcomes, not about you sitting at your desk for eight hours a day. Yeah, exactly. So if you, going back to kind of being a student and thinking about careers, what would you advise students? Have you got any kind of hints and tips or piece of advice that you kind of wish you knew when you were starting out? Yes, I on reflection now, when I was back in the day, 
working uh, around the clock and loving every minute of it, I have to say. Uh, I would love to have had a support network. And I think in any chapter in your career is to ensure that you have people around you that support you in different areas of your capability. That can be friends, it can be professional people uh, or expertise in specific fields. So it's, it's really creating that network around you so that you can pick up the phone and have a conversation. If um, you're going through onboarding process, the adjustments aren't there for you. That can be incredibly stressful. You may feel you're at a deficit because working in an environment that isn't really suited to your capability provision. If you feel uncomfortable to go to the organisation to ask for those adjustments is to ensure that you have support externally so that maybe you can gain the confidence to ask for help or to find strategies and tools to enable you to manage your work. My first and foremost advice though is to be a humble advice seeker and always ask for advice and don't hold back. There's nothing to lose. And people love it when you ask for advice. Everyone loves to help. We all like to help each other. So I think it's, you know, I always say, have you asked for any advice today? You know, <laughs> because learning is just a terrific, terrific. Uh, and you'd be surprised the amount of people that love to be asked for advice. And they'll give it freely. It's free, you know. So, and, and you know, ask for help if you're struggling and um, you're finding things uh, challenging don't be afraid to ask for help. If you if you keep it to yourself, you'll end up working through the night, uh, getting incredibly stressed, and 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 that's a shame because there is a lot of help out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree more. I think for me, having mental health conditions, it wasn't until I actually asked for help that I started to, I suppose, accept my situation but also get the help that I needed from other sources. So I remember the first time telling my boss about it, absolutely terrified about it, but he couldn't have been more lovely. And that kind of, that interaction so helped me to look after my health, helped me to be better able to manage things in my job. So absolutely, I think if we talk about it from a mental health perspective, absolutely talking about it and asking for that help and support because people do like, as you've been saying, Michelle, you know, they like to give advice and support. It's kind of a bit of human nature, really. Um, so yeah, completely agree. And I think on the, the being open about your disability, you know, that's a very personal thing for everybody and what we do do on the ability program is we are doing a lot of work around well what does that mean for you how to think about having those conversations as well because I know and from talking for many other people that can be a really challenging thing but it does it does have its um it does have its benefits absolutely yeah yeah. I think that kind of brings us to the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for being so open and honest and, and sharing all of your experiences, Michelle. It's been really valuable. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Lucy, for inviting me. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Please do tune back in. We'll have lots more episodes coming shortly. But for the time being, thank you for listening.